0: This is Pod TST every week. Uh, I get together with somebody and talk about the LA Rams. And today is not only no exception, it is a great honor to be talking with the radio voice of the Rams on ESPN Los Angeles 710. He hosts The Sean McVay Show, Rams All Access the Rams Revealed podcast, rightsforrams.com. He is J.B. Long. J.B., is it fair to say that you uh, work around the Rams, that you cover the Rams?
1: I eat, drink, breathe, sleep Rams. Yes, exactly. (laughs) Um, Nice to be with you, Kenneth.
0: (laughs) Thank you. Uh, Rams be with you as well, J.B. You know, you've been doing... Uh, This officially since 2016, but, you know, the Rams moved to Los Angeles at that same time. And along with yourself, there may be new Rams fans every week, which is something that the franchise obviously hopes for because they moved to L.A. And uh, for anyone that may be coming in this season, maybe this is the first time they're checking it out. Uh, JB, could you give a brief synopsis on your background uh, when you started watching the Rams and uh, when you officially started uh, working in a capacity of covering the Rams?
1: Well, you're right about uh, acquiring new fans continuously. Before yesterday's game, I actually got a text message from uh, a lifelong friend who follows the 49ers and is affiliated with that franchise. And he broke the news that his son told him that he's a Rams fan now. So uh, (laughs) that's kind of how I went into Sunday Night Football on that note. But uh, I'm a lifelong Californian. Uh, born in the greater Los Angeles area, uh, grew up in Silicon Valley, uh, made an academic stop at South Bend, Indiana, and then kind of kicked around early career uh, stops in the Midwest in Tulsa, Oklahoma, and Florida before having the chance to come home to, to California and was doing mostly TV play-by-play when the Rams relocated to Los Angeles and created a, uh, a dream opportunity for me. I was uh, blessed to have the opportunity to join them at the start of a new era. And here we are in year five. It's gone by really quickly. I have great teammates in Maurice Jones, Drew, and DeMarco Farr. And uh, my family and I just couldn't be uh, more pleased to be affiliated with the Rams and with Los Angeles long term
0: yeah and you know you and uh m j d and DeMarco all did such a good job of covering what was such a difficult training camp and off season and, and such an unusual off season in so many respects and, and it was so hard um i know for a lot of people to really uh know what was going on with within football and and that i'm sure that included uh people within the nfl as well you know but um having you guys there at uh, training camp to put stuff out there at the uh, rams youtube channel i know um, was very helpful to me trying to find out what was going on with the rams every day Uh, what was what what was your feeling with training camp this year how was that for you to get through given all the circumstances
1: well yeah even a couple months removed it's nice to hear that because we on the one hand, we're just thrilled to get back to work, right? I mean, that was the end of a long hiatus for just about all of us in the sports broadcasting world right about that same time. So the NBA, Major League Baseball, hockey, NFL training camp all kind of started to ramp up, and it was uh, nowhere near normal for any of us. And it, it broke my heart, honestly, to be at training camp and not have fans there and not be able to interact with players and coaches and fans the way that we normally do in Irvine, because that truly is one of the great seasons of the year uh, for all of us. Uh, but none of us are complaining. We're all happy to just have something to do and, and to have the optimism of a new season ahead. So it took some getting used to. Uh, we're all, you know, adjusting on the fly and none of it's ideal. But uh, everybody's making good lemonade, I think. And here we are entering week seven with uh, at least the Rams bubble solidly intact. And kudos to all of those players and coaches and individuals who have made sacrifices and those in their extended network to uh, to make that go.
0: Absolutely. Absolutely. 100%. Um, And speaking of uh, the coaches and the players, Sean McVay, you know, you've been there for all four of his seasons now. um, And, you know, you, you you talked to him on a weekly basis during the season. um, But with regards to this year, is there anything different um, with Sean McVay this year or how he's evolved uh, from you know, a first year head coach to, to now, you know, a veteran fourth year head coach.
1: Yeah, there's obviously some X's and O's and then some intangibles. I mean, I I think he's uh, more committed to being multiple in his personnel, as we've seen more committed than ever uh, to pounding the rock, you know, last night's game, notwithstanding, I I think that commitment has served his team well through the first third of the season. Let's say Uh, I, I think, more interestingly to me is the way he kind of self-evaluated after three years. And let's be frank, not many coaches have the luxury of making it past year three or even getting to year three in the National Football League. The turnover rate is just so fast. Um, so to be a, a 30-year-old hired for this job for the first time and to make it to year four is an outrageous accomplishment. But I also think it gave him a little mile marker as especially the contracts of his initial coordinators expired to just kind of evaluate where do we want to go next and Wade Films was probably the most prominent example of that Bones Fossil obviously meant a ton of this organization for many many years was another example of that um, but where I really see it showing up is I think the the intentionality with which Sean is approaching his individual relationships with players with coaches and then the way he's savoring every win I think the weight of the football world uh, rested a bit heavily on his shoulders last year and, and things started to pile up. And even a nine win campaign was not as rewarding as it should have been given the obstacles that he and his locker room overcame. So he he seemed to be pretty cognizant this off season of restoring the joy and restoring the um, the really meaningful relationships uh, on both sides of the football, all three phases, you know, up mm-hmm. and down his 53 man roster and practice squad and I think that's really borne fruit in the four and two start the Rams have uh, worked towards.
0: Yeah, uh, you've mentioned um, as well, you know, his coordinators and uh, working with, he's worked with several different coaches that have come in and out, uh, you know, whether that was successfully or uh, going in another direction, like with Wade Phillips, Brandon Staley. Um, and I know that a lot of other people that I talk to have the question of, What Kevin O'Connell and Brandon Staley um, have changed offensively and defensively. Um, In your words, how have uh, things changed with those two coordinators? Because it seems like Sean McVay, you know, he has a penchant for picking guys who become head coaching candidates, and he also elevates them as uh, potential head coaching candidates just by way of Working with them and the Rams being successful during his tenure, so how have O'Connell and Staley had an impact so far?
1: Well, this is where 2020 is really different for me because I just don't get to be there firsthand and observe interactions as often as I do typically. So this, yeah. these are all kind of you know third, third degree removed observations of mine. But <laughs> from what I've Glean through Zoom meetings and through conversations with Sean, I think first and foremost, he really enjoys the opportunity to pay it forward. Clearly, he was given many career breaks and many unprecedented opportunities because of you know his coaching connections and his uh, the roots of coaching trees above him, be it Gruden or Shanahan, that helped him rise through the ranks. And whether you're talking about KOC or Brandon Staley or Thomas Brown or any numerous others. I think he really, big picture, likes to pay those opportunities forward. And and I wouldn't be surprised if a few decades from now we're looking at a really robust coaching tree, the likes of which I think NBC did a great job of, of delineating off of Bill Walsh during the 49ers game. Yeah. Um, you know, Brandon in particular, you know, it's it's a really interesting challenge for him because he comes from a great background. He comes from a really respected pedigree in Vic Fangio. And I think he has really borrowed a lot of what he's learned from his stops in Chicago and Denver and elsewhere. But, but at the core, I think what qualified him for this job is the way he sees football and the way he communicates football. Sean McVay for all of his brilliance and believe me, he is brilliant. Mm -hmm. Is a world-class communicator first and foremost. And I think, especially in Brandon and from what I've seen and gotten to know of Kevin as well, they have that gift as, as well as he does to his extent, to his degree, who knows, you know, I think Sean's in a, in a pretty elite class in that regard. But when you talk about finding the Sean McVeigh of defense, I think that communication piece, that level of comprehension and the ability to translate it and teach it is maybe the through line that I see to Brandon Staley and then, since Lafleur, you know, left to Tennessee and then ultimately Green Bay,
0: mm-hmm.
1: they they haven't had that seat filled, the true offensive coordinator seat filled. And look, one empathizes with Jared Goff because even going back to his college days, it's been a carousel of voices in his ear in terms of position coaches and coordinators he's worked with. But he's managed all that well, and and I think he, uh, speaking of Jared, he and Kevin have a really nice relationship and some commonality there where. You know, while Sean is is occupied with adjusting schematics or play calling or even managing the team at a higher level, he's got someone who speaks his playbook language paired with Jared, you know, maybe sitting down on the bench looking at the device and going through the previous series in a way that he trusts, which, you know, seems to be paying dividends so far. We'll see how it goes the rest of the year.
0: Uh, you know, you talked about as well, just um, the offensive coordinators and the plans there with Jared Goff, who has worked with just quite a number of different offensive coordinators and minds and had a lot of uh, different people to speak to over his now going what into his fifth year in the NFL, uh, just like same as uh, the Rams in L.A. and yourself as well, as we talked about those five years um, and Jared Goff has been there. The whole time that you 've been there, so you've had as good of a look as Goff at Goff as anybody, and he's coming off of you know one of his definitely his worst game of this season uh, in terms of the statistics and just how the 49ers um, were able to shut down the Rams passing game in a number of ways that go outside of just Goff's performance. Um, there were you know, dropped passes, and they played good defense. Um, and Jason Verrett seems to be one of the better cornerbacks in the NFL this season. So uh, there were a lot of factors going against um, the Rams' passing attack on Sunday night, and you tweeted out today as well, um, that you didn't feel that Jared Goff had that poor of a game. So if you could just uh, talk a bit about Goff's performance against the 49ers and uh, the evolution of another person, which is, you know, the evolution of Goff over his five years, anything that surprises you about Goff uh, this season?
1: Well, you know, kind of that meme that's going around kind of where it started and and how we're doing now, that's (laughs) that's what I thought of a lot during Sunday Night Football because, as you know, Jared Goff's first game as a pro – was in a baseball cap on the sideline at Levi's Stadium in the Bay Area against the team that he grew up watching, the San Francisco 49ers. And to see him back there five years later as, I think, a top-10 quarterback in the league, uh, even a top-five quarterback, according to Pro Football Focus, going into that, certainly one of the more efficient quarterbacks in the league, now a captain of the Los Angeles Rams. Um, I I thought that was a nice milestone along the way. Now, it would have been great had he got that win to kind of complete what was, I think, his 60th career start on the week in which he turned 26 years of age. Mm-hmm. But hearing you kind of pose that question, it clicked for me. I think I thought that I've kind of been dancing around all day on this Monday as I prepare for the Coach McFay Show. And that is, I hope that the week five, what was that week? Yeah, we where are we now? Week six, I lose track.
0: Yeah, yeah. The this 49ers
1: the lost. Six. Yeah, yeah. The 49ers lost. the the thought that I was trying to wrap my mind around is hopefully representative of what the new floor for Jared is. Mm -hmm. That was an off night in some ways for him. It was definitely an off night for Cooper cup. Uh, Robert Woods, while he made an excellent diving play had some opportunities as well. Like they left a lot of offense on the field and no one associated with that offense would say that's, that's how we wanted to play last night. Mm -hmm. But that being said, if that's the worst performance of the season so far for Jared, and if that proves to be one of or his worst performance of 2020, the Rams are in a really, really excellent position at quarterback. And I think it speaks to the strides that Jared has made throughout his career, but especially in this trying offseason coming off of, you know, I think a year that some people saw in 2019 as a regression for
0: him. Um, yeah. When I think that, you know, 2020, I, my feeling was definitely that you know, regression it was going to happen for Jared Goff in the uh, positive direction. And, and, you know, we have seen that um, definitely over the course of these first six starts, um, an improvement over where he was last year and, and definitely closer to the Jared Goff um, that took the Rams to the Super Bowl in 2018. So, you know, Interesting to see how he will respond moving forward with the Bears next week. The Bears were another team that he did struggle with against in uh, 2019. So opportunity on Monday night against the Bears there. But um, a couple players who many fans were hopeful were going to, be part of the offensive game plan Um, up to this point, even though they are only rookies was Cam Akers and Van Jefferson. I believe they combined for four offensive snaps last night and, you know, Van Jefferson's playing time has uh, decreased as the season goes on. Um, Cam Akers seemed to be healthy, but at the same time, Daryl Henderson seems perfectly capable of handling those duties on his own for the most part, of course, with Malcolm Brown taking over about half of the snaps because of his experience and Cam Akers maybe not able to play on all – passing down so um, it's it's, you can see why those players aren't playing but Sean McVay has not necessarily held back rookies in the past like Cooper Cup or anybody that's been able to contribute Jordan Fuller being an example from this season Uh, JB would you say that there is any concern about um, the rookies performing when the Rams could definitely um, use help at certain times so far this season
1: you know, I can see it a couple of ways. Um, you know, if you look at their top four picks, I think just to expand your thought, they played 22 snaps combined mm-hmm. with Burgess getting nine and Lewis getting nine. And, and given the snap total that the defense played in that loss to San Francisco, that's where my attention is drawn more so. Mm-hmm. Um, with Lewis coming off of that, um, that injured list and getting his feet wet against Washington, I was hopeful, perhaps unrealistically hopeful, that his length and physicality and run-stuffing reputation from Alabama could have been a force against the 49ers. In retrospect, that's probably asking a bit much above the neck for a, a guy playing his second game as a pro to take on Kyle Shanahan's rushing attack, True. which is, I think, as complex and challenging as, as any in the National Football League. So that, that probably should have been anticipated better by me. Um, I tell you what taking a second look at the game today, I can't help but wonder if that game was the start of something for Terrell Burgess, because as much as it felt like in real time, that Ramsey was taking over more opportunities against Kittle in that second half, it actually, upon second glance, looked like it was Burgess, the rookie um, who was getting those reps. So even though there was limited opportunity there, I thought that was a pretty strong vote of confidence and he held his own. And I wonder if that's not the start of something as the Rams start to leverage their safety depth in a way that maybe they haven't to this point to their advantage, we'll see if that's the case. They need Jordan Fuller back to do that. But look, I I understand the overall sentiment. I was very high on this rookie class coming out of training camp. I think the two rookie safeties were the story of training camp, likewise Van Jefferson. But now here we are approaching the bye week and what have you gotten out of this rookie class so far? Not much to show for that promise yet, not Mm -hmm. to say that they're not going to be big contributors by season's end. I think in some ways it's actually a nice luxury to have that they haven't been thrust into major roles because it means that the depth chart above them has actually been, uh, been held up pretty well compared to what your peers in, say, San Francisco are dealing with.
0: Uh, And last question here for you, JB, another um, entity, just like uh, the Rams and, you know, Sean McVay and Jared Goff and yourself being a part of this move to Los Angeles was SoFi Stadium and you've been a part of Watching that happen and develop over so many years, and and this was to be the season that SoFi opened and and would draw in you know a million fans to, and then more around Hollywood Park, and unfortunately circumstances outside of the Rams' control and the end of everybody's control um, has prevented that from happening, but given that this is uh, still the debut of SoFi Stadium, and it will be on Monday Night Football showcased against the uh, Chicago Bears next week, and a lot of people will be getting a look at SoFi Stadium. Do you have any thoughts on what you've seen from SoFi Stadium so far and uh, the, the general thoughts around the, you know, the organization uh, of how they've approached this without fans?
1: Well, Kenneth, I, I've been guilty before of saying, like, it's not often that something with a $5 billion price tag <laughs> lives up to expectations, right? And, uh-huh. and I had to check myself, realizing something $5 billion like this has never been built before. There, there's, there are no parallels in terms of expectations. But you know what I mean in terms of, you know, the hype that we put on anything that's four or five years in the making. It's really, really tough for it to deliver on its promise. SoFi Stadium, believe me when I say it does and then some. And I say that with enthusiasm, with exuberance, but, you know, in my chest, I really am crestfallen. You know, all all of this is relative to much more serious things that we're dealing with as a as a society and a culture right now. But purely from a football standpoint, and even as a father and a friend of football fans, like I was so looking forward to, bringing my wife and my sons to SoFi Stadium. I was so looking forward to our friends and neighbors being able to join us for nights like this against the Chicago Bears in front of a national audience. And here's the silver lining that I've kind of taken some solace in is I continue to be blown away every time I walk in and I can feel my pulse kind of just elevate and the hair on the back of my neck stand up every time I walk in that facility. And while I wish that we had had the grand opening that I think Stan Kroenke and Kevin Demoff and the Los Angeles Rams and everyone who was involved with this project deserve. The good news is we get to have hundreds of grand openings now moving forward because every time you or my sons or my neighbors or any of the Rams fans or any of the NFL fans get to come visit Los Angeles and set foot in this world-class venue – I and those of us who have been there will get to have those same feelings over and over again for many years, I believe, as we witness it and experience it through their eyes. And I liken it to watching one of my favorite movies or TV shows with someone who's never seen it before. And the anticipation I have of just, you know, experiencing some of those great lines, those great characters with them, knowing what's coming, but being able to observe them, uh, as it happens. And that's kind of what I think the next several years are going to be like in Inglewood.
0: Well, that is a fantastic unparalleled pitch on uh, SoFi Stadium. And that's saying something. So uh, thank you so much. Speaking of incomparable, uh, at JB underscore long on Twitter, the McVay show Monday, 6 p.m. between the horns, Thursday, 9 a.m. And Rams revealed on Apple and Spotify. J.B. Long, the voice of Rams Radio. J.B., thanks again so much for joining me. Kenneth, I'm
1: glad we are able to connect. Sorry it's on a losing note, at least looking backward, but hopefully it's a winning note as we preview uh, the Chicago Bears.
0: I hope so too, J.B. Uh, thank you so much, and uh, that's it for Pod TST.